Welcome to Shabbat Shalom. This is your host, Sam Frankart, and this is episode 56. Today, we're studying Revelation 19, and there are 21 verses in Revelation 19, so I'm just going to get right into it because I'll be reading straight through verses 1 through 21. So if you'd like to follow along, go ahead and grab your Bible, open up that Bible app, or just listen. I'll be reading Revelation 19 verses 1 through 21. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The, sm the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you, and wish your brother and with your brothers and sisters who hold to Jesus' testimony. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. All right, so let's break down this chapter, go pretty much verse by verse, and yeah, talk about what this all 
means, what it all looks like, and what some of it represents. So the first half of this chapter, we see this vast crowd in heaven, and they begin praising God for his victory. And then the 24 elders join the chorus. Finally, the great choir of heaven praises God. We read that hallelujah over and over again. And we read in verses 6 through 8 that the wedding of the Lamb has come. The first few verses of chapter 19 describe the end of the destruction of Babylon. He has condemned the great prostitute. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. We read that. And so here the focus of worship is on the great works of God, specifically his work of righteous judgment. And then we see in verses 6 through 9 that one reason this great multitude is so filled with praise is because the time has almost come for the Lamb of God to be joined together with his people. It's a union so close that it can only be compared to the marriage of a husband and a wife. And, and as I was reading this, it made me think of a song by Maverick City Music. It's called Getting Ready, and it's all about how we're getting ready for the marriage of the Lamb and how that's coming. Um, and so I can link that in the show notes for you. It's a super fun, super powerful song. Um, by Maverick City Music. So this picture of a marriage is a picture that's used frequently throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, Israel is presented as God's wife who is often unfaithful. We read about that in multiple places like Hosea 2 verses 19 through 20, Isaiah 54 verse 5, and then Ezekiel 16. And then in the New Testament, the church is often compared to a bride. In Matthew 25, 1-13, Jesus compared the coming of his kingdom to a wedding for which his people are being prepared. Um, and so something cool I wanted to share with you here as I'm thinking through just this picture and what it means to us, his church. Um, I think I've talked about this a little bit already, but in 2012, I went on this thing called the World Race. So it was a mission trip to 11 countries in 11 months. And month three, it was India, Nepal, Thailand, Malaysia, Cambodia. So month five. It was month three I started thinking about this um, and month five that it actually happened. Um, so throughout the world race, we were living off just like $11 a day. Um, and that covered food, lodging, and transportation. And so, man, for everything, I would just have to trust the Lord um, to provide. And so... I remember how time and time again I would just be in a place where I wouldn't have had what I needed for that day and the Lord would provide and so he just taught me throughout the world race especially at the beginning how for every little thing he cares about every little thing um, and so how I can trust him for everything and so it was in Thailand um, that I just started that process of, of learning to trust him rather than trusting myself. And, and that word trust just stood out to me. And, and what I was learning was how trust and faith are so interchangeable. If we have faith, we're believing that God is going to do what he says he is going to do. And if we trust, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. We trust that he, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. So we have faith in God, we trust in God, and those things can be so easy to say, but day to day, moment to moment, they're, they're not as easy to live out. And so the Lord was just teaching me about trusting Him. And at the same time, I was processing through what it looks like to be 
the bride of Christ, as the church, we are the bride of Christ. And so as a husband takes care of his wife, so the Lord takes care of and loves his church. And so as I'm processing through all of this, starting in Thailand, through Malaysia, finally in Cambodia, I was on a one-on-one -on -one with my friend Courtney and we were talking about what we were learning and that shifted into, well, man, like, let's get tattoos. <laughs> so she already had quite a few and I had never had one. And I'd been thinking about getting a tattoo on my ring finger with the word trust um, to symbolize both the, the marriage of the church to Jesus and then also trust just because of what I was learning and honestly like what I've continued to learn even today so many years later and so yeah in Cambodia Courtney and I went and found a tattoo place it was like right on the side of the road they didn't speak any English we didn't really speak any Khmer and so I just wrote out what I wanted and the tattoo artist took in my own handwriting the word trust and put it on my left hand ring finger and yeah so that's just been a really good reminder of who I belong to whose I am um, that the Lord loves me and he is someone that I can always trust. I can always have my faith in him. Um, and so, yeah, just wanted to share that with you. Just as we're looking at the this picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb um, and how that that is part of the believer's future. We will be part of that, just this banquet and and this this feast and and all of it is, is overshadowed by love. I think overshadow is probably the wrong word, but you know what I mean. It's just, man, so overflowing with love. So yeah, then we also read in these verses that there was fine linen, bright and clean, that was given to her to wear. And so we know that these clothes are a representation of the righteous acts of the saints because, well, we read that. That's in verse 8. And so, yeah, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Um, and we know that these clothes are representation, but there's also this deeper significance to the clothes. So in Old Testament times, it was customary for wedding guests to be given special clothes to wear to a banquet. And it would be extremely offensive to refuse to wear these clothes. It would, number one, insult the host, who could only assume that the guest was arrogant and thought the clothes were unnecessary, and number two, that this person did not want to take part in the wedding celebration. So these wedding clothes picture the righteousness needed to enter God's kingdom. Also, in Jewish culture, the marriage supper was the best banquet or party that anyone knew. It was multiple days, it was just this feast, it was so fun, and there's an episode of The Chosen. Yes, I'm talking about The Chosen again. There's an episode that displays a wedding, and it shows you all the preparation that goes into a wedding supper, as well as a celebration. And if you'd like to check out that episode, I'll put a link in the show notes for you. It's a really, really good episode because, yeah, The Chosen, they're just great. So um, check that out if you'd like. And then another fun observation in this section, this is the only place in the New Testament where the word hallelujah is found, which is super cool because we see it in four different places here in verses one, three, four, and six. And the word hallelujah, it's derived from two Hebrew words, the words halal and jah, which means praise Yahweh or praise God. 
And we see the word hallelujah over and over in the Old Testament. There are actually even a few psalms that are known as the hallelujah psalms. Those are psalms 113 through 118. So just a fun observation. Uh, let's continue on in verse 10. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So whether John had mistaken this angel for Jesus or he was simply overcome with emotion over everything he had just seen, he fell down at the feet of the angel and worshipped him. Well, right away, the angel corrects him and tells him to worship God. And we can take instruction from this as well. We are not to worship angels or heavenly beings or anyone who would be considered a fellow servant. And this goes directly against the Catholic practice of worshiping saints or praying to Mary. We have direct access to Jesus. Why would we need to pray through a saint or an angel? We are designed to worship God. The angel also says something very interesting. He says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, Walverd said in his commentary on this verse that this means that prophecy at its very heart is designed to unfold the beauty and loveliness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The true spirit of prophecy always shows itself in bearing witness to Jesus. Let's continue reading in verse 11, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. John writes this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So John says that he sees heaven opened. And there's this sense in which everything before this in the book of Revelation is an introduction to this revelation or unveiling of Jesus. Jesus had come first as a lamb to be a sacrifice for sin, but he will return on a white horse as a conqueror and king. In biblical times, especially among Israel, most soldiers were foot soldiers. To have a horse in battle was a significant advantage. A horse spoke of honor, power, speed, and the color of this horse speaks of victory, and his name is faithful and true. This glorious title shows Jesus is the keeper of promises, including his promise of judgment. In verse 12, we read that his eyes are like blazing fire. This is a repeat of the Jesus we read about in chapter 1 with eyes like fire. And also, we read that on his head were many crowns. The last time this earth saw Jesus, he wore a crown of thorns, but not in Revelation 19. 
now he wears many crowns. And the ancient Greek word used for crowns here is diadema, the crown of royalty and authority, not stephanos, which is the crown of achievement. And also, in contrast to Jesus' many crowns, there's the dragon who had seven crowns in 12 verse 3, and the beast who had ten crowns in 13 verse 1. Jesus, with his many crowns, symbolizes it's his ultimate authority. He is the one who has many crowns, not just seven, not just ten, but many. We read in verse 13 that Jesus is wearing a robe dipped in blood. And some suggest that this is the blood of the martyrs, and some think that it is Jesus, the blood of Jesus' enemies. Others think that this is the Lamb's own blood, which ultimately brings about this final day of victory. Accompanying Jesus are the armies of heaven, and the commentaries I read on this all agree. This is an army of God's people. These are believers, which means this is us, which is super cool. This is us returning to earth with Jesus as part of his army. There are no, there's no mention of any kind of armor or weapon for any soldier in the great army that follows Jesus. The only armor or weapon that they have is the only one they need. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And as we'll see at the very end of chapter 19 anyways, the army really doesn't do anything. They just stand there alongside Jesus. They're showing that they're with him on his side, um, but they don't do any fighting at all. It's, it's completely Jesus. And so, yeah, the great army is there with them, with him. Uh, verse 15, Jesus is described as having a sharp sword that comes out of his mouth. And this is also seen in chapter 1, verse 16, and 2, 12. So the word for sword here is not that small two-edged sword that we read about there, but here it's a mighty sword that is four or five feet long. And this was the sword that we, was used by Calvary soldiers. The idea isn't that Jesus holds a sword in his mouth, it's a dramatic way of referring to the power of his word. Five times in the book of Revelation, John emphasizes that Jesus' sword comes out of his mouth, which is pretty interesting. Two other pictures describe Jesus in this verse. First, he rules with an iron rod, and his fierce wrath is like a wine press being tread. So the picture of Jesus ruling with an iron rod describes him as ruling over nations, like we read about in Psalm 2 verse 9, which says, You will break the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Lastly, Jesus is pictured as treading the winepress of God's wrath. This winepress image also appeared in 14, 19 through 20, and it describes God's great wrath against those who had rejected him. Here, we see that God's wrath will completely destroy sin and evil. A wine press is often used to symbolize judgment, and that's exactly what's happening here. This is something we find hard to grapple with today. There must be an equal understanding of God's wrath and His mercy, His grace alongside His anger towards sin. Teaching about God's love and tolerance have become so predominant that God's anger seems mythical or even offensive. But we see here a picture of God's anger and judgment against sin and against those who have constantly rejected the name of Jesus. Verse 16. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Most of the world will be worshiping the beast, the Antichrist, who they believe has all power and authority. Then we see Jesus with the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In David Guzik's commentary, he writes, The name is on his thigh for prominence, being easily visible when he's seated on a horse. At the same time, no one knew the name except himself. That is, no one can comprehend him perfectly. All right, I'm going to read verses 17 through 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. So there's this angel standing in the sun, and this shows how bright this angel shines with the glory of God. The angel can be seen even though it stands before the sun. And this angel is calling out to the birds. And this may refer to eagles and vultures, birds of carnage. This great supper of God is such a terrible contrast to the wedding supper of the Lamb. As David Guzik wrote in his commentary, Everyone gets to attend at least one of these suppers, but some will eat and others are eaten at the suppers. And then the fact that there is great and small shows that all men will be judged. It doesn't matter whether they were high or low in this life. If they reject Jesus, they will be judged. All right, I'm going to finish out the chapter reading verses 19 through the end, so 19 through 21. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So these armies are gathered together to make war against God. It's hard to understand how man could be so foolish and so prideful to try to fight against God. As David Guzik wrote about the war, John wrote no description about a battle. This is an entirely one-sided affair, more of a simple act of judgment than a prolonged battle or war. And as Barnhouse wrote, the battle of Armageddon is the laughter of God against the climax of man's arrogance. There was no need for battle because the victory had been won centuries earlier when Jesus died on the cross and was brought back to life three days later. At that time, Satan had been defeated, and here, at the Battle of Armageddon, he is finally stripped of all his power. And we read that the beast and the false prophet receive special treatment. They are cast alive into the lake of fire or into a picture of hell. All right, well, that's all we have for today. Check out the show notes for a link to a commentary from David Guzik on Revelation 19, as well as those two other links, the link to the Maverick City music song and the link to the Chosen episode that I referred to. And next week, I'll have Abina back on the podcast. He's my 10-year-old friend who lives in Nepal, and he was on the podcast a couple episodes ago. So tune in next Friday to listen to another conversation with him. You can find me on Instagram at Sam Frankart. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. Maranatha.